Hi guys, Craig here. Welcome to another edition of the podcast, Tell Craig Your Story. Today we'll be speaking to rugby league journalist Steve Mascord. Now Steve is born in Australia but uh, is now living in England. He has worked as a a rugby league journalist uh, with AAP, the Sydney Morning Herald, the Daily Telegraph, has also been on Triple M Radio and ABC Radio as well. In 2017, he was the author of the book Touchstones, which talked about the three R's, rock and roll, rugby league, and the road. It's a great, great story about how he did 52 rugby league games and 52 gigs. And he's also a music buff as well. He's done quite a lot of uh, music interviews. He has a podcast, White Line Fever, And he also has his own business, Mascord Brown, which uh, sells rugby league merchandise. But before we go, please go to our website. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Tell Craig Your Story. We have a link there which tells you where Tell Craig Your Story podcast is streaming. We are on Google Podcast, Apple iTunes, Spotify, to name a few. And also, we are still running our competition for the Tell Craig Your Story podcast theme song. You have until the end of the month to hand your submission in, and I will announce the winner early next month. All right, here we go. This is my talk with Steve on Tell Craig Your Story podcast. Hey, Steve. How are you going today? I'm great. How are you, Craig? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, good. Thank thank you for your time. I know you're a very extremely busy man, but I've been asking the question with everybody, you know, at the moment with the coronavirus, um, are you staying safe in England and how's it all, you know, progressing over there? Is it getting better or is it staying the same? Yeah, um, it's weird, Craig. Um, At first, uh, well, well, firstly, I mean, this is the earliest plug on record perhaps in any of your shows for anyone for anything but I'm doing a book at the moment <laughs> and uh, so, so for me um, for me I was on the couch anyway all day all uh, the only thing that really changed for me is that I, I couldn't go to the gym anymore instead I went for a run and without, right. going, without going off on a tangent I'm actually surprised at the health benefits uh, of running outside as opposed to going to a gym it's pretty amazing actually i expected i'd get really fat and i haven't um so far touch wood, <laughs> touch wood. so so nothing much changed for me um but at first here it was pretty uh, scary like you actually like when you went outside like one time i went down the storeroom um to, to get some stuff for mascot browns another plug um and uh and and i put my keys i put the keys the communal keys to the storeroom in my mouth and I was yeah. just convinced I had coronavirus. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, was thinking, <laughs> I must have it now, you know, um, uh, because at first everyone was really scared. And I went to the post office and the guy says, is this essential to the stuff I was sending? And I was like, well, oh, I, I don't know. It probably isn't, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so I didn't go back to the post office for two weeks. So I started posting stuff in the post box and it was getting lost. Oh. By, by the time I went back, this guy behind, a different guy behind the same window said, "How's business? Good." <laughs> he was like, you know, <laughs> um, so um, so people, are, so it's less, it feels less scary now, even though there's still obviously enormous risk of getting it, and I'm still scared of it, and I'm still, you know, totally um, down with the lockdown. <laughs> um, but yeah, the biggest difference I would say over the maybe 40 days or more, it's almost two months now, 
is that uh, it, it it doesn't feel like you're sort of stepping onto the, a Martian landscape when you go outside. It feels like you know you just some fire. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. You feel you feel you feel like you just got to be careful now, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, that, that's good to hear. Like uh, with Australia, it's you know they're slowly starting to lift the the bans here as well. So um, let, let's hope it gets away. And it's also stopped our you know our favourite sport, me and you. It's stopped the rugby league. So can you remember a time where you haven't had a rugby league for this long? In, in your sort of rugby league career? Yeah, uh, at the beginning of the 1990 season, I went overseas for the first time and uh, I'd uh, already done two seasons at AAP. I just went, I, I went overseas, uh, went to the Hockey World Cup and then went to the States for the first time and I, I missed the first, I went to the Challenge Cup final, my first Challenge Cup final. I didn't come back until like June. So I missed like the first two and a half, three months of the season. So I guess when I came to England, there was still rugby league, and I was get, getting to as much rugby league as I could. But um, but I've, yeah, I, I've I've had this before, and um, you know, this is going to surprise you. I I don't really miss the actual games, you know, like I'm I'm yes. yeah, not really. Like I don't, I if you know, like I wouldn't watch every single game if it was on anyway. You know what I mean? Like right. and um, and I'm involved in projects around rugby league, and strangely enough, at this point. Pausing to watch a game for an hour and a half is is kind of like an annoyance. Like like yeah. so, yeah. I'm I'm I don't I don't I don't get to Friday night and go. Oh geez, I wish Super League was on Sky. Or, yeah. I don't. I, or yeah. you know, when the NRL starts again, I'll watch it out of mainly curiosity. And you know, and, and I and I probably will finally shell out for a watch NRL subscription. Mm. Um, because so because they've created this amazing um plot for them that uh, started in Wuhan to create scarcity of rugby league but um but, but really but really I, yeah I haven't I guess I haven't had it's been two months and I guess that's you know that's that's an average off season so I don't I, I'm not like I haven't watched a single game replay on social media or YouTube or whatever not a single one uh, you still do you still have the passion for, for NRL that than you did when you you know say like in the 80s and the 90s no, um, not not for watching it. I've got I've got a lot of passion for the game, but a lot of passion mm-hmm. for the game. But but the passion is for trying to work on projects and to try to progress it and change things a little bit. Um, I don't. I almost am so. You would almost say now that I'm so obsessed with rugby league, I don't have time to watch it. You know, like right. Yeah, I mean, when you called, I, I was you know on a conference call with some guys talking about nines and about and. Uh, you know, I've got like this merch company, and and I'm still writing a little bit, and we've we got the streaming for Super League this year. Jimmy Smith and I um, in Australia. I'm 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 almost like my ideal sort of scenario for watching a game of rugby league now is probably you know, in a corporate box with a beer in my hand um, and being able to miss important parts of the match and not care. That that's yes. that's, that's that's my ideal scenario for watching um, rugby league now. Like more or like the social side of it. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather have it as a relaxation. Like there's not many more things. I'd, there's still not many things I'd rather watch for fun. I still like to watch rugby league for fun, but I kind of like I'm just not obsessed with the watching side of it now. Right. So when when did it all start? When can you remember going way back? Like uh, when was your first sort of first season of NRL or rugby league? That was the was it New South Wales rugby league? 
Uh, oh, probably even before that, probably Sydney Premiership. Um, I would okay. say in 1979, I went to a trial match at Dapto Showground involving St George. I think St George may have played the local team, the Dapto Canaries. Um, right. I'm not from Dapto, by the way. I'm from Windhag, um, but uh, which is the southern suburbs of Wollongong. Um, not much room for western suburbs in Wollongong. There's the, the mountains are just right there. And yeah, and I went as a. Uh, I guess I went with my uncle and my dad. Um, and then in 1980, I went to more games. Uh, 1980, I think we spent Mother's Day at a St George game at Cogra. Went to Lidcombe Oval for for a um, West game. I think it was also nice. against St George. 1981, I remember going to Cronulla and asking the Malane brothers for their autographs. Well, they came yes. back from, came back from the warm up, and the bloke said after the game, mate. And uh, <laughs> and then 1982, Steelers came in, and that was perfect for me because I was just starting uh. just starting high school, and so, suddenly there was. Um, Sydney Premiership or then it was New South Wales RFL and then they dropped the F the following year, just New South Wales Rugby League. Yeah, so then I was able to go to games every, not only every second week. Uh, we used to, me and my mates from school, we'd catch the bus into town and, and watch and watch the Steelers train. Uh, oh, and and we, went to, we went to a lot of away games. Not all of them, but a lot of, we went to their very first away game at Sydney Sports Ground. I remember that uh, quite well, caught the bus up. And, uh, and it all kind of went from there. I, I kind of... Um, was never one to do anything by half measures. And so I couldn't just sort of casually be interested. I had to be obsessed. Um, yes. And, yeah, that, and that kind of that kind of obsession with as many matches as possible, that lasted until about three years ago, really. <laughs> right. So so you were a Steelers fan growing up? Yeah, I was. Funnily enough, my, my, it's very um, – my favourite colour as a kid – um, when you're a little kid, you do have things like favourite colours, was red. And so my favourite team was St George, and I don't know why, because they had less red than North. But my, yes, second, that's right. but my second favourite team was North, and I used to like it, and I vaguely remember liking it when Illawarra played in the old Tooth Cup or the KB Cup, because they had oh, – yeah. um, no, it wasn't KB Cup. It was definitely the AMCO. It was AMCO Cup. AMCO, um, yeah. yeah, they had – you know, they, they, the country divisions played in it, if you remember. In fact, Wally Lewis made his first grade debut – Against Illawarra before they were the Steelers in the midweek yeah, right. uh, midweek cup for Valleys, the Valleys. Oh. Um, so they would. Come they had more and... red than anyone else. Even before they were in the Sydney Premiership, I liked them because they had more red than anyone else. And so, yeah. uh, so when they finally joined the Sydney Premiership, they were the reddest team of all. So, so as a as a little kid, that was uh, ticked a lot of boxes. <laughs> right. So with Illawarra, obviously they they merged with the St George Dragons. Like um, for the people living in Illawarra, was that like a bit of a a sad day for you know uh, the Steelers? I can't tell you because I wasn't living in Illawarra then. So oh. so I was already in Sydney and I was already working as a rugby league reporter. And so my emotions, I don't, I, my emotions were almost neutral, zero. zero. I um, it was a story, you know, to me. I I remember the last Steelers game though. I remember mm. we, uh, we went to um, against Canterbury and there was a really, really remote possibility they'd make the finals um, oh. that day if other results went their way at the last round of 1998. And, and they didn't win. They, they put up a oh, – I'm trying to think. Maybe they won, but it, maybe they won, but they didn't put – I can't remember actually the result. I should remember it. But uh, um, they didn't make the finals. So the season was over and they all went on their mad Monday. And I remember I went over to um, – I went to a pizza place and there was a former player there called David Banks, second rower. I used to wear the tape around his head. And, yeah. there, was, uh, there, was some, and, and there was some other people around and uh, I was I covered the game 
for, for Sydney Morning Herald. And then I remember just chasing the Steelers around all night. Um, so <laughs> I would go to one pub and they'd just been there. And then I'd go to another pub and they'd just been there. And I, I remember I remember they were, ended up at the Spanish club at Kembla Warra, which is, you know, down, down in uh, sort of between Warrawong and Port Kembla, where I had my 21st. They actually ended up down there because it was still serving alcohol quite late. And I even went there and they'd gone. Um, and, and the rumor was they'd all caught a cab to the King, to King's Cross and, you know, oh. um, so, um, which would have been about 250 bucks. So I remember, yes. the, very, I remember the very last um, night, or, you know, the last night of the Steelers and that has an emotional resonance to me more than the actual merging with St. George. Um, and, and when they merged with St. George, St. George never, St. George felt like my team only when they wore the Steelers strip, strangely yes. enough. So, so it, you know, I, I can't be angry because I wasn't living in Wollongong at the time, and I didn't, I didn't feel, but I could, but St George Illawarra could never feel like my team because, because it wasn't my town anymore. I never lived there when they were around, so I never, I never made that sort of emotional um, connection, you know. And did you ever play a league yourself? Very, very poorly. Very. Yeah. Poorly. <laughs> and, and and without courage. Um, yeah, I played. Um, I I played. Windang Pelicans, Windang Pelicans under under sevens, and I started when I was five playing under right. sevens. Uh, uh, I think my mum remembers one time I offered an opposition player with a runny nose a handkerchief. And that's the sort, of, <laughs> sort of sort of kid I was, bleeding heart lefty. And and then I played I played for the school. You know, I, one thing I was I was a poor player, but one thing I had in my favour for about six months is that I had a bit of a growth spurt. So I was I was bigger than everybody else. So so like in order to play tackle footy down the beach, one time I had to play against four of my friends because I was just bigger than everyone else <laughs> just for six months. And it was my that that was my sort of um, captaining Australia. <laughs> yeah, that was, Give the that ball was to Steve. High, that was a height of my that was a height of I think it was in the off season. Sadly, when I was bigger than everyone else, I never got to actually do it, use it on the field. I just used to play in the park against like three blokes and then suddenly they all caught up and overtook me and I had no skill and, and no courage. So it was back to where I started. Back to where you started, yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was, I was sort of similar. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, younger than you, um, but I was the same. I, it was the Newcastle Knights for me. Um, when they come into the competition, it was like, yay, finally we've got a team here in Newcastle that we can sort of support. And what I wanted to ask you was, um, I saw that uh, you were doing uh, like a new a new project about the Super League, and you were trying to get people, you were trying to talk to people about that that sort of period of time. Is that true? I'm writing a book, uh, which the working title is Two Tribes, and it's about '97. Um, right. So it starts it starts on October 4, 1996, with the full bench of the court overturning Justice Bursich's outlawing of Super League allowing Super League to start, and it finishes around Christmas Eve 1997, just after the um, the NRL was formed at the Sydney Football Stadium. Um, so it's, a, it's, it's the origin story, with a small o, of, 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 of the competition, of the NRL, which is a story that never gets told because we all want to forget 1997 because it was corporate war and all that sort of stuff. Uh, oh, never. Never, uh, Steve. Never, Steve. Yeah. I, I, can never, I can never forget 97. That was our... No. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the, the only thing people want to remember. The only thing people want to remember is Newcastle's win in the um, in the grand final, and that's it. But it was actually a very – it gave us a lot of things we have now in the game, a lot of the rules, yeah. gave us the judicial system we have now, 
and and there are a lot of funny stories. I mean, I don't, I don't know if people swear on your podcast, but a, a quote, That's okay. a, a quote, um, a quote which will be in the book is, someone stood up and said, "Oh fuck, we're all going to die." That's I'm not going <laughs> to give away. I'm not going to give away any more than that. But that is a quote, a genuine quote from the book for, uh, from the incident in 1997. So, um, wow. and I I grew up knowing a lot of stories. Um, back then, not as I grew up, I, I either am not grown up now. Uh, in which case I wasn't then, or I was grown up a long time before 1997, one or the other. But 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 I knew a lot of stories at the time because back then the media, it, it, I mean, the people in Super League and the people who worked at the uh, New South Wales Rugby League, crime reporters will tell you the same thing. We we drank with the cops and we drank with the criminals. I, I'm not going to tell you which group is which in this um, metaphor. But and and so so I heard a lot of funny stories at the time, uh, like like um. You know, the, Gary uh, Pierce, who was there, and I've got to be careful talking about it and not to give away much, but Gary Pierce was the uh, former Wallaby who was a marketing manager yes. um, for Super League. And he was actually sacked after one round because instead of going to the first game, he went to the opera. Um, oh. and, uh, and, <laughs> and it was one of those kind of, um, you know, Jason Deef being sent home and Gordon Tallis fighting um, uh, Terry O'Connor and, um, yes. you know, a, a baggy green... Um, um, cat being stolen by a Canberra player from the dressing room at Headingley. All these 1997 stories. It's one of the ones that you heard at the time. But but and they should these stories should actually be kind of emblazoned in rugby league folklore. They're such great yeah. stories. Uh, but they're not because it's 1997. Everyone wants to forget 1997. So as an example, I tracked down Gary Pierce. He's uh, he was with his family, his entire extended family, his kids and his grandkids on a farm in Bermagui. The lockdown. I tracked him down. I asked him, "Did you go to the opera?" You know, so you know, I, I'm I'm still trying to you know find um, Aaron Raper and um, and uh, Tom Radonikus about you know Aaron Raper being left on the bench. I was there in the um, Hilton on the Park after the game when jo- when Johnny Raper you know confronted Tommy about not putting his son on the field. Um, right. So you know the, the, these stories are. It's been really wonderful experience to be able to speak to these people it's funny thing is i'm like there's been examples uh craig where i've gone does anyone know how to track down fred blogs and then i i put it in i put it in my uh facebook and fred blogs is my facebook friend (laughs) you know what i mean like it's like that these are people i know from 23 years ago so so if i get on the phone with david gallup it's like oh what i I actually you know i know david gallup quite well but so it's not so much the same but there are, there are examples of like people I, I I know and get on with quite well, but haven't spoken to in years, and I'm talking to because of this book, and it makes me appreciate how I've spent most of my adult life, which is something that I probably, when I moved here full time, I, I might have tried to forget, you know, like yeah. not that I was ashamed of it, but I wanted to move on from it, and I didn't want to I didn't want to be that guy, you know what I mean? So, but so by going back and talking to these people, it kind of made me gave me an appreciation of maybe you know or you know appreciation that the time I spent. You know, when I got out of school to, to a couple of years ago, was probably time well spent. It was such an interesting time too. I mean, like there was periods there that we didn't even think, as as again as a Knights fan, whether we'd have a team. You know, that they were talking. You know, do they go to Super League? Do they go to stay with the ARL? And then all of a sudden, uh, the the Mariners come into the competition as well. And then it's like. Do I follow the Mariners, the new team, or do I stay loyal to the Knights? So it was all that was all happening um, in in that in that period. But you know, 
do you think the 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 Super League sort of was a good idea at the start, or was it you know? Like you're, to... try, you're trying to get the end of my book before I'm even finished. Oh, writing. sorry. I'm not going. So, I'm not going to offer that opinion. Um, I, I, I think we'll answer. I think we'll answer that question. Well, I haven't. I, my opinion is still in the process of being formed. I've tried to um, forget what I thought I knew and 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 learn from the people I'm speaking to. So I don't know about how other people write columns, but if I sit down to write a column, I don't know how it's going to end. I don't. Right. I don't sit down to write Discord or whatever and go. Oh, I'm going. Hey, this is going to be my payoff line at the end. Uh, I, I arrive at the payoff line when I arrive at the end. So I'm having the same, um, you know, by writing, I, it makes me think. Uh, and and so so the same, I'm employing the same process with the book. So I won't know the answer to that question until I kind of write the last line of the last, um, the last chapter. But how inspiring is that, not knowing, you know, and finding out all this information, you know, it could could be anything. I think. That's, well, the good thing is the great. good thing is the good thing about it is that um, you find out things about processes from some people you're speaking to 23 years later that the other people who were also participants and also in the room at the same time didn't know. I mean, that that's yeah. the most amazing thing. Like, who was actually the P for Neil Whitaker's job? Who was the guy who was supposed to get it if not for the opinion of this guy? Well, I'll be able to tell you that. And Neil Whitaker doesn't even know that. You know, right. um, like I spoke to one guy the other day who said he thought he got on very well with the, his workmate. Well, that guy got him sacked. He does, still doesn't know that to this day. But I can reveal that. Wow. In the book. I, I can reveal that in the book. It, it's, it is. It's, um, it's, it's, it's gathering momentum and I am – I'm really into it, but I can't spend all day on it because I've got other things happening, and yes. um, and so so it's a it's a, a time management issue. And one thing you find if, if you can actually if you love rugby league and you've got to watch every game you possibly can, life gets confusing when you kick that addiction because there's so many other things out there trying to um, uh, trying to demand your time and so many interesting things that that want you to uh, give them your attention. And now I'm finding that our time management at the age of 51, time management is the biggest. Um, challenge of my life really it's a big world out there isn't it (laughs) we're going to stay out there i'm looking out there at it now but um one day we'll be out there in it again i guess you know yes yes hopefully hopefully in the near future so 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 let's go back for the people that that are international listeners you were a journalist at an early age and you got a cadetship at the at the australian associate press is that correct AAP, Australian Associated Press, yes. Right. So so when did you sort of realise that this is what you wanted to do as like a career? I never a career? did. Now, I never yeah. realised. I never did. Um, I, um, I just wanted to be involved in things that I thought were cool. So um, <laughs> I, was, I was into footy and into swapping footy cards and, and I realised I couldn't play. We've already discussed that. And <laughs> I never heard of anyone being a club secretary that's what they were called back then, straight out of high school. I thought, well, I'll start interviewing people and sending stories away uh, to magazines or whatever. And so that's, I didn't decide I wanted to be a journalist. I decided I wanted to be around things that I w- was inspired by. And inspired yes. is even probably overstating it. I was just a kid who wanted to be around cool things. Yes. So, so, so footy was cool, so I just wanted to be around. I wanted an excuse to be around. And I didn't want to be a hanger-on. I wanted a reason to be there, you know, so... Um, so people thought I had a reason to be there. 
and they talk to me on a decent level. You know what I mean? So, um, so that's that's how it started. Um, and and that's why I haven't, even though I, even though I enjoy explaining journalism to people outside journalism, and I enjoy giving advice to journalists, young journalists who maybe don't get told why they're doing things, only how to do it. I don't have it in me. I don't have that sort of thing in me where I want to fight for the truth for my whole life. I don't, yes. you know, like I take it seriously when I'm doing it. It's like Neil Whitaker said when I'm doing the book. You know, Neil Whitaker hadn't done a rugby league interview in 20 years. Wow. And he said, and he said, um, People couldn't get it that when I was a Balmain chairman, I was about Balmain. But when I was the CEO of the NRL and, and the ARL, I was about those jobs, not about Balmain. Everyone thought I must have an agenda because that's how it works in rugby league. And, right. you know, I, I'm like when I'm a journalist, I'm really serious about it and, and I'm not going to um, poo-poo my um, rep, you know, reputation or cachet or, or integrity. You know, if I have to go back and write about someone who I'm also doing business with, that I'm also I'm going to be the journalist again when I put the journalist hat on. I'm, but I don't have it in. I don't have this passion to tell the truth and fight for justice my whole life for the rest of my life. And I never was one for crusades. I never. I can only remember maybe one time my whole career as a journalist where I wanted to expose someone for their wrongdoing. I just right. wasn't, I don't have that in me. It's just not my nature. I'm. I'm. I'm I just want to do the job thoroughly. You know, yes. so yeah, yeah, agreed. And, and do you think uh, being like a, a like a freelancer now um, it, that that helps you doing that? Like you don't have the the pressure, like, and especially with your book as well, you don't have like a time frame either. You know, you can sort of do it I in your time. You know, I tell you what, Craig, it's it's very. Most people look out the window. I'm looking out now. They yes. would see quite a blue sky. I only see a big dark cloud with the word book written on it. Um, <laughs> there's um there, no, I do have a massive deadline. I mean, it's one thing to have a deadline to get 500 words in at, at seven o'clock. You know, to get 80,000 words in on July 7 is uh, is a much bigger um, a, a pressure. So I definitely still have deadlines to worry about. Freelance journalism, I don't want to be doing it. I mean, really, like, I mean, uh, I I I now realise that I that you know after after two years here, I do realise that you know you can fight so hard to make an impression on people with a new thing that you don't really know how to do and you're just learning how to do and it's really really hard and i know that i can make more of an impression on people by writing something now and i realize that i you know i realize that i should write every day i i do realize that but but writing stories is not part of my plan to achieve anything else at the moment it's not where you know where my focus is uh, so so i'm not looking for it kind of easier way to do journalism i'm i kind of started off two years ago looking for a way not to do journalism at all right um and and now i'm kind of happy to do it and to do it, it, it i hopefully still have some integrity when i do do it but i'm not it's it's not the focus of my day you know yes understand and <laughs> and speaking of which have you adjusted now to to living in london I always adjusted to living here. I like living here. I, the thing is to get a routine of um, um, that where you can make some money and and your day is manageable and you're happy at the end of the day, the week, the month, the year with what you've done. That's right. what that's and and that is still what I'm trying to achieve. I, I feel I'm I feel I'm closer. I feel I feel I'm closer now. Um, as far as living here is fine. I don't. I, I enjoyed coming back last year. It was like a great holiday. Um, nice. And um, and it was really and I achieved 
heaps in a short period of time. Uh, so it was great. And I got back here before the, the you know, what hit the fan. So that was, <laughs> that, was, that was good. But I don't really, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but basically, you know, this stuff that's happening to us all at the moment is like, you know, from my point of view, speaking personally, I've been flying around the world and blowing money and, and, and drinking and eating and, 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 and polluting, you know, for my whole life. If the rest of my life is spent in this square two miles, I'll be fine. Yes. You know, like, like, really, I'll be fine. I, I don't have a – yeah, I, I've actually quite liked not leaving this square two miles and just enjoying, work, you know, working hard and enjoying the simple things, a nice meal, a jog in the evening, you know, company my wife. You know, like, yeah. I'm, 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 happy if, I'm happy if that's the way things stay. But I know that a lot of the projects I work on, um, the projects that's I'm working true. on require people to put on a boot and play football or go, go, yes. and, go and have a gig or put out a record. And so – We'll get know, to that. Soon. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so you know what I mean. So, so it's a weird sort of thing where I don't. You say, "Am I comfortable living in London?" Yeah, yeah. I'm so comfortable that I don't care if I don't never go anywhere else again. But I mean, but 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 that's just personally. But then again, the projects I'm working on require other people to go and do things outside of yes. two square miles of their house. So therefore, exactly. in the end, I'd be unhappy because they wouldn't be going and doing those things, and all my plans would be for nothing. If that makes any sense. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Totally understand. Yes. And uh, I guess you're getting back to the simple life, really, you know. I think we um, all should. I think we all should. Like, why do we need to spend all this money? Like, why? Yeah, that's right. Why? Yeah. If we can go, if we can eat, if we can get fresh air and we can exercise our minds, enjoy art, um, you know, then then why do we need all the things? Why do we ha- like, I know so many people, like, I, I totally appreciate I'd be st- I'd be in trouble, you know, if I wasn't here. I wasn't with my wife. She's got a good job. Mm-hmm. I'd be, I'd be, I wouldn't be able to be so altruistic because I yes. would be struggling to pay the bills. I'd be struggling to, um, to eat, you know, um, and so I wouldn't be, be able to be this altruistic and I acknowledge that straight off the bat. But having said that, if you, whatever you need to eat and whoever you, whatever you need to stay in touch with your friends and family, you know, um, then, then all the other stuff, why do you need it? <laughs> you know what I mean? What, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. What is yeah, so, exactly. capitalism? You know, the economy and all that sort of stuff. Like, what, why do you need it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so that's that's what I get out of this anyway. And, and that's my thing as well. Like, um, you know, we're telling people now to wash their hands and to uh, you know start doing online work. Why weren't we doing this from the start? You know what I mean? <laughs> so let's get back uh, to uh, so after you did you worked with AAP uh, you joined the Sydney Morning Herald and I want to ask about and I probably I know you probably get this question a lot um, I want to know what it was like uh, going on the '94 Kangaroo Tour. Oh, that's a big question. Um, one of my favorite <laughs> one of my favorite stories. Well, there's a lot of stories, but yeah, I, there was one story I remember. I got back then it was fax machines and Sydney Morning Herald. Well, I've given up the punchline. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got an, I got an. We can edit it out. We can edit it out. I, 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 got call, I got a call from downstairs. I got a call from downstairs from reception. They said you've got a, <laughs> you've got a, you've got a fact. You got a, a mail here from Sydney Harold. <laughs> Spelled S Y D S I D N E Y H A R O L D. But um, no, it was um, it was a. I mean, it was obviously an awesome experience. And um, um, I was talking uh, to a, a mate of mine called Mike Westlake, uh, who's a journo, and he covered the 1997 World Club Challenge over here. And he said, oh, yeah, he goes, my routine was I'd, 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 I'd catch the blokes coming back from training at the lift. 
I'd go and write something and the rest of the day was my own. And I just, and I did that every day for two weeks. Right. And it was, it was more intense than that covering the 94 Kangaroo Tour, I can assure you, you know. Um, there's so many aspects of it. That Mal Meninga uh, try just sort of sticks in my mind, but, you know, that try to win it, that was just an amazing, amazing try. It was, um, Bozo was a coach, uh, Bob Fulton was a coach, and he's a pretty overbearing kind of figure. We we socialised a fair bit with the players. Not, I mean, the journos hung out together. There were, there, were, there were enough of us to hang out together. I remember, oh, right. Peter, I remember Peter Falingos, there were at five or six of us. Uh, Peter Falingos uh, said, um, it'll be the greatest experience of your life before it started. And I thought, geez, this bloke needs to get out more, you know, because I'd already... <laughs> I'd already travelled a fair bit. I've been around the world a few times, you know. Um, he used to say I've been around the world more times than Yuri Gagarin. Uh, but he actually was right, and it wasn't. There was nothing about the places you go because rugby league is played in a lot of ugly places, you know. Um, yeah. but it was about, but it was about the camaraderie with the guys and, uh, you know, yes. um, uh, Daniel Lane and and, uh, and and Jeff Dunn and Bevan Hannon, uh, Dave Mason. You know, these guys are you know sort of friends for life. You know, um, from 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 that trip. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was a wonderful experience for me. I was new at um, AAP, new at the Herald. I switched. I told uh, I told Jeff Dunn Bringfields in Kings Cross at about two a.m. Uh, one night that I was leaving AAP and he was going to be the chief league writer at AAP and was probably going to go on the Kangaroo tour. Uh, right. and, and and I went to the Herald mid-season and 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 I was still used to being an agency reporter, so I was just about don't get beaten on a story each day and. That was that was an impossible task too because Peter Flingos was very tight with Bob Fulton, oh, uh, so so he would get stuff early and blah blah blah. Uh, and also, but I also didn't know about writing color and writing features and and stuff. So I was kind of pretty straight down the line on the tour. So from a Sydney Morning Herald's point of view, it probably wasn't uh, I wasn't a success on the trip. Probably. So how, how did you how did you do it back then? Like in '94, were you sending like uh, was it a fax or? Yeah, you would fax, yeah, you would fax stories back. Yeah, you type uh, type type. Actually, I had I'm trying to remember '94. I didn't have a typewriter. No, I had a little kind of uh, machine that would uh, with an acoustic coupler. So it was like the early um, version of a laptop, um, and you pl- and you and it had suction cups that went onto either end of the phone. And it would uh, talk to the computer in Sydney using the suction cups and the tones, and and uh, um, it's called an acoustic coupler. And I think I think you had a local number as well you could dial into because it was very expensive to call Sydney and send a story. It was really expensive. But we were staying in like five five star hotel for two months, you know. So wow. back when newspapers had money, you know, we were staying five yes. two months. And on the, and I remember the first day of the Kangaroo Tour. Actually, we all. Got our rooms, and my floor, my room was on the same floor as the some the players, and I was yes. like two floors from Mal. And I went down to reception. We're all going for something to eat, and Peter Flingos. I said to Peter Flingos, "Oh, I'm on the same floor as the players." And he goes, "Get moved." He said, "Get moved. You don't do that. It's really? just part of the rules. You don't do it. You leave them, give them their privacy. You know, you don't go on the same floor." Right. I went, "Okay." You know, and and you know, I did. I, I went to reception and I asked to be moved. Um, yeah. And it's just not the same now. Like uh, if they, if the Australians were to go over there now to England, it just wouldn't be the same. They're so professional now. Is it difficult to to sort of get interviews with them over there, or do they have like set times, or you know, with well, media? Been, uh, it's been so long since uh, a full kangaroo tour happened here. That's right. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. No, w- what happens? Yeah, I mean, I, I covered uh, the Four Nations a couple of years ago. Um, oh yes. For. That, I think I covered it for the Herald, or, or I, I covered it for the Herald, 
And it was pretty stage managed, but you can still get guys on your own, you know, like. Right. You, you know, you, but you do have to arrange it and they get snaky if you just go up to the guy and ask him yourself. And and basically your job is, I mean, I don't want to, this is a rabbit hole, but your job as a reporter, as a reporter, I'm here to represent, I'm here sitting in my lounge room to represent to you, Craig, what happens in this lounge room for you because you're not here. And, right. I, and if I want to ask, if I want to ask my wife a question, I don't need to go through her media manager to ask, should I ask her a question? Oh, um, gotcha. Because it's my job is I can ask anybody any question. It's their choice whether they answer or not. So the whole thing of the media manager is keeping the you know, it's keeping the media in the box and controlling mm-hmm. the message, um, yes. and, and and it actually stands in the way of of the public's access to information. So I'm exactly. I, you know I, I I became increasingly frustrated with that you know in yes. my final kind of year in Sydney. Um, the whole, where, whole cliche cliche answers you know. And also you know, the, and the political type operation where you would have off the record briefings from from right. um, from spokesmen. A spokesman said this. A spokesman said that, and it wouldn't even be able to be in direct quotes. They 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 try to dictate to you how it was reported. Um, and so basically, if if, a, if the spokesman for the NRL, for Todd Greenberg, says the sun won't come up tomorrow, it's the end of the world, and the sun does come up, then so then. People will just think you made it up because you didn't yes. put, you didn't quote anyone, you didn't put a name to it, and so the, the, the under that sort of system, governments and and ministries and now sporting organisations are able to sort of float stuff in the public arena and use the reporters as a patsy, and if it doesn't fly, if it's unpopular, they can just they can just shrink away and go, oh no, we never really considered that. And, yes. and and because it was all off the record, the reporter has no comeback to say, well, you, you told me. Who told you? You didn't quote anyone. You know, so <laughs> I, just, I, I hate that system. I, my, the way I came up was you you have a quote in the third paragraph. And I would, yes. rarely, I would rarely write a story, and, and, and maybe much to the poor, and my editors to this day would probably chastise me for this and say I wasn't a complete reporter because of this. But I would rarely quote someone. I would rarely write a story if I didn't have a quote in the third paragraph. If someone yes. told me. If someone told me Joe Blow is join, joining, you know, the, the the Darwin Crocodiles next year, um, yes. I actually would not write it until I could ring Joe Blow or I could get the Darwin Crocodiles, uh, you know, like 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 I would, and that is now the the the, the fuel in the engine of sports of sports journalism is transfer speculation. Um, so I just wouldn't survive today, you know. Um, but I mean, I had before me. John McDonald, um, who I saw when I was back at Sydney, great guy, John McDonald, uh, uh, reporter of the Herald, he believed that it was the club's uh, the club's role to announce a signing, and he just wouldn't even chase a transfer story. He, right. he believed it was the club that was up to the club to announce it, and that was and so that so I'm just he's just a different um, vintage of dinosaur to me. I understand that as far as you know the way things are, um, but nevertheless, you know, I always tried to get a quote in the third paragraph. And 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 it, and and obviously there were many occasions when I I wrote sources say, but geez I, I didn't I it was it was the same thing as my footy career it was a lack of courage <laughs> I didn't, <laughs> didn't want to be I didn't want to be held responsible I didn't want to be used as someone else's patsy and I didn't want to be held uh, responsible yeah. for something that was super controversial and I yes. and I couldn't say well he said it you know what I mean yes. so it was as much as it isn't being high minded and ethical. It was probably really just being a bit lily-livered, you know, like and as much as anything else, you know. Yeah. 
that's that's it's very very interesting how it's all changed a bit like the NRL how it's sort of transformed into a very different NRL rugby league now. So so let's get back. So you were we have the Daily Telegraph from 2006 to 2008, and this is when I started listening to you. I can remember way back uh, on ABC Radio. It was my opinion that that um, I preferred listening to the ABC Radio. I just liked liked how they they had it. Uh, they had a lot of passion with um, the commentators commentating on the radio. Peter, Peter. Peter Wilkins. Peter Wilkins, yes. I didn't work with Peter very much. I mainly worked with David Morrow and, and Warren Ryan and all the other oh, guys. Oh, yes. The other guys around at the same time. So Jerry Collins and um, right. and uh, Tim Gable, you know, and, and, and the guys, you know, um, who, who – but, yeah, so that was the, kind of my era at the ABC. That, that, that yeah, era. right. And I never that, thought – I never felt it's funny that people say that, like you, you know, like you did when you rang me. I oh, listen, you just listen to ABC. Like it, it was it, for me, it was like um, uh, it was what it was. A, it was it was it was extra money on the weekend, uh, yeah. and I was always quite I, I was always quite nervous, you know, because really? when you're on the sideline, um, it's hard to get comfortable because they sometimes. One time I was on Triple M, and they didn't come to me till the 28th minute of the first half. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. You're sitting there going. You know, you know, and so you, you kind of never really get it's, it's you, you sort of it takes a while to get comfortable because because if you're part of the commentary team, you're talking from the start and you yes. just it's like me talking to you now. I mean, imagine if your podcast now had been going this long and I hadn't spoken yet. You know what I mean? That's like, right. You know, so it's like and I'm going, oh, I hope when I do talk, I don't I, I don't say the wrong thing. Or, you know what I mean? And that's, yeah. kind of, that's what it's like being on the sideline, you know? Yes. Well, yeah, I just really, really enjoyed that uh, that part of your your career. So, and you've also gone on to uh, be a part of a podcast yourself, uh, doing a host of the White White Wine Fever. Is that still going? Yeah, people say is that still going, which is kind of bad. But there are actually um, White Wine Fever. Um, no, 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 it's not bad. It's bad on my part because it's 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 inconsistent. But there has been two rugby league specific. White line fevers in the last two weeks, so it's actually in a bit of a busy period uh, um, in, yes. a, in its kind of ten-year history at the moment. But uh, yeah, it was um, white line fever was originally I wanted to mix rock and roll and rugby league, and I wanted to try to get it on radio, or I wanted to try to get it on on digital radio or something like that. Um, yes, and it never it always it always stayed a hobby. Um, right. Just recently, there was a bit of um, uh, there was some interest from from the music side from mainstream radio in australia uh, just over the summer um but the guy i'd never heard back from the guy after a couple of emails but what but white line fever is now uh the rug white line fever kicks which is a rugby league specific white line fever yeah, jimmy smith and i do it um um every other week now so um oh, nice. so google it it's on uh white, white line fever um podcast and you'll see as they say on your favorite podcast platform um, <laughs> it is there and it doesn't it doesn't cost anything to hit a subscribe and um and I, I, I'm a hoarder of brands. Like I kind of like if I start something, I, I, I never let it die. Like like right. you know, so I used to do a column in on the street on on the street called Loudmouth, and you know Loudmouth there hasn't been a Loudmouth hasn't appeared in print since 1990, but oh. I've still got Loudmouth Twitter, Loudmouth Facebook, uh, you know like and nice. and and I always think that one day when I get time. Because I don't think there's many columnists in the rock and roll space. People don't write rock and roll columns like they write sports columns. You know what I mean? Yes. Like 
how disgraceful is it that Motley Crue ripped people off with a farewell tour, and now they're <laughs> now they're back screwing people again? You know, yes. you know what I mean? Like, like so, um, and so no one writes that. You know what I mean? But in sport, it'd be like there'd be ten people writing that. So, so, so my kind of vision is my vision for Loudmouth is to write Loudmouth every week and to write like a sports column about hard rock and heavy metal. So yeah. Anyway, so White Line Fever will never die because even if we don't do a podcast for ten years, if you know, if, if episode two hundred and episode two hundred and one are, are fifteen years apart, there'll still be, be episode two hundred and one. I I just had this, something similar as well. Like uh, I recently went to check my MySpace from my old my old uh, rock band. It's been all deleted now. So yeah. um, I actually so started putting before the internet was like like. Like when I was at News Limited, and again, you skipped over asking about my time at News Limited, and actually there's not much to ask because they were pretty good to me. I, you know what I mean? I had one or two stories that were beaten up a little bit, but I mean they were, they were pretty good to me. I don't really have a lot of complaints. But um, I but stories were rewritten and stuff, and I remember there's one story re- rewritten that upset Cameron Smith. And I, when I was at News Limited, I used to put all my stories on MySpace as I originally filed them. And right. Like, and and you imagine that now? I mean, you just yeah, you get sacked on the spot. You know what I mean? <laughs> so so um, I was able to show Cameron Smith. Here's what I actually filed <laughs> because it was on MySpace. And right. and now with it's gone the full circle where archives are like part of like what I probably going to be doing for the rest of my life is try to leverage my um, back catalogue like I'm a band or whatever. And so yes. and so um, if my all those old stories on MySpace are worth something to me now. Oh, but yeah. they're all gone. Like uh, you, right. all gone. MySpace just bang, delete. So <laughs> I think they sent everybody out an email to say if you haven't checked it in the last three years, then it's gone. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so speaking of rock and and uh, heavy metal, you brought out a book in 2007 called Touch Stones. Touch yeah. I, I, I love this I love this motto teaching the three R's rugby league, rock and roll and the what's the road. The road. So in it you did fifty two games and fifty two gigs. How did you do this? <laughs> well from the from the rugby league point of view I had to tone it down to only do fifty two games in a year. Uh, oh, but yeah, the, that, that's, but, that's but, but the um but the trick was to go to a game a week in the off season, and the hardest trick was to go to a game a week when I was getting married. So, so I, oh. I you know, I had to like miss. I think I had to do like a um, a Sunday of one week, and then the Saturday at the end of the week after, <laughs> and get <laughs> and get married in the middle. Was I think that's how it worked. And as far as the gigs, it was good because I went to see bands I wouldn't otherwise go and see. Like I, I don't really like Clutch. I went to see Clutch. I went to see the Buzzcocks. I wouldn't normally go to see the Buzzcocks. Yeah, it was... Um, uh, Broadening your music horizon? It was, and I ran into people at those shows that I knew or had a really good... had a story about, you know, like it was like a good... I'm glad I went. Um, yes. so, so, yeah, that, but it actually that was ended up being a very small part of the book, really. Um, it, right. like, it was almost just a... a they, were, they were just little panels, you know, spread out among the pages. It wasn't... The book wasn't about about going to 52 gigs and 50 yeah that's right uh, it had like uh like your family background as well but uh what what i wanted to ask was uh with those 52 games what's the most obscure 
place you've watched a rugby league game. I mean, um, it says you've been to 18 countries watching rugby league. Um, I didn't even know there was 18 countries playing um, rugby league. So oh, the international world, well, international, if you go to the International Federation website, I think the rankings go up to pretty close to 50 now. Um, so, really? so I haven't, um, you know, I haven't, um, I haven't even scratched the surface. Um, you know, I've seen, I've seen, uh, I've seen, well, I've seen rugby league in like on a suburban ground in, in Malta, uh, where uh, everyone, like a few minutes before kickoff, people are faffing over getting the PA working to play the national anthems and. I'm not sure the lines were even marked, you know. Uh, yes. I, I caught a train out actually on a Sunday morning uh, from Moscow out to Narofaminsk and saw a, um, um, a rugby league game there. And I got off the train, like the hard Soviet wooden seats and, and, and kids who'd been in the city drinking all night and <laughs> old babushkas shaking their uh, fingers at them and telling them to be quiet. And I, got, and I got off the train. I had no idea how to get to the ground. No one spoke any English. I had to ring Anthony Elias. Uh, who's connected to the um, um, the Lebanese team to like you know yeah, get, right. someone, get someone to tell a cab driver to take me to the sports stadium. Right. And, uh, and that day I met a guy who um, subsequently, not not to be confused with the rugby league writer Michael Chamis. This guy's called Mick Shamas, uh, and he <laughs> uh, and he uh, was running uh, help helping run rugby league in Lebanon. And uh, he was subsequently present at my 40th birthday, which I spent in Jacksonville on a cruise with Leeds Rhinos. Uh, and so I spent my wow. I spent my actual 40, I actually turned 40 uh, on the uh, river in uh, Jacksonville the night before Leeds played an American combination in, in Jacksonville. I've been to that oh. ground, I've uh, been to that ground University of North Florida for rugby league about five times now. Um, um, so, yeah, lots of obscure places. I mean, I saw... And how uh, is it? De- sorry, 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 Steve. Uh, well, how is it developing in the US? Is it, it getting started, a bit of a following there? It, no, it, it stops and starts. I mean, rugby yeah. league's been going in, the, you know, been going in the US since the 50s. I mean, anyone who's listening, I like rugby league, has got to read a book called No Helmets Required about the 1953, 1953 US team that toured Australia and New Zealand and played to massive crowds at the Sydney Cricket Ground and Brisbane Exhibition Ground. Rugby league's been trying in America since the 1950s and. It stopped and started. Origin over there and, you know, yeah. they had international uh, games there as well. I worked for the USA Rugby League last year just writing some content for their website. Uh, but, uh, yeah, right. but uh, yeah, so it stops. It, it, it's, it's it's frustrating. Uh, needs it's some, very hard. Needs some investment. Be, yeah. yeah. It would be a very hard market to, you know, with their, all their major league sports already there being so dominant. But um, I, I did hear that even recently, like when the pandemic, like we were playing, you know, with no crowds, that, that they were getting like a bit of a following in Canada and uh, US. You'd be probably the best guy to talk to about that. Is that true? Were the people? Yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. People say you don't need to take on, you don't need to be number one. It's a very Sydney attitude that unless you're actually number one in the market, you can, uh, it's not worth doing. I mean, I mean, yes. if you could be as big as lacrosse in America, that would be a huge step forward so yes. for rugby league. You have to aim, yes. like you have to be realistic. Like, oh. like rugby league isn't even recognised by GASIF as a sport. Wow. Like, rugby league is not internationally recognised as a separate sport to rugby union. So you know, people, people in Australia just need to be realistic about where rugby league is on, on the pecking order. And it's not even recognised as a sport. So wow. you, you need to... Uh, so the idea of 
being as big as like uh, lacrosse or table soccer in America is still a dream for rugby league. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it's, it's, a gen, it's a generational thing. It's not something that's going to happen next week or tomorrow. But Toronto Wolfpack have shown that um, you can have you can you can put a foothold in one market in America. It's yes. you know it's a it's a five to seven hour flight um, or seven hour flight from from England, and there's an infrastructure for the game here, and that's the way you fast forward it a little bit. You get some following in a certain city, you know. So so I wanted yeah. to ask about that. Um, how is I I haven't sort of uh, followed that that much. So, I, I did watch one or two games, uh, but how is it going with the Toronto Wolfpack? And and um, I've, I've read that Sonny Bill Williams hasn't been the sort of the big role model that he was supposed to be. Uh, so how how is it all going over there with the Toronto Wolfpack? Uh, well, we're, we're still waiting for round eight to happen. So we only have seven rounds. Uh, Sonny yeah. went home for one or two weeks. Um, he was showing glimpses of his best, but uh, the, the team... The team, unfortunately, is a it's a championship team. It's a second division team with Sonny right. Williams. So, right. so they they kind of don't really have the uh, players. You can't use the word cattle. Jimmy Smith doesn't like cattle, so it's very disrespectful. <laughs> I know most people who use that term, they don't they don't mean it that way. But uh, um, I think the Wolfpack, the Wolfpack may have made a big impression in, in Canada. But they're you know they're like they're like the Tigers, and they're playing it like. You know something that's smaller than Leichhardt Oval, and yes. and so people from uh, when I say they like the Tigers, as far as they're a suburban team, even though they represent all of Canada in Super League. I mean, they're if you ask if, if you ask the average Torontonian if you meet a Torontonian while you're travelling, mm-hmm. um, do you know the Toronto Wolfpack? I would say four and five would say no. Yes, uh, but the people who live in that area, it's a student area, a residential, course. it's only twenty bucks to go in. And if you want to go and watch the Blue Jays or the Raptors, you're going to pay 200. That's um, right. They've got a following there, like a good local following, and and David Argyle's, um, you know, used the the brand to leverage other business interests. So he sold 25% of the club to a um, you know CBD cannabis based resin, you know, like like wellness products. He he sold 25% of the club to to one of those companies that does that. So so the Wolfpack are the most exciting club in the game's history. You know, yes. who knows if they're going to, um, if they're in it for long haul. I don't know. There's only been one real successful expansion team ever in rugby league, ever, and that's the Melbourne Storm. All the yes. other expansion teams you can name are in rugby league areas. Uh, and it's cost $80 million to keep the Melbourne Storm afloat. So, wow. so who knows if the Toronto Wolfpack will become the second successful expansion team. But I'm certainly excited by what they've done so far. Yeah, definitely, and it's it's great great for the rugby league in general that they've got another you know another team outside of like you said the normal rugby league areas. It's it's great. Sorry, I wanted to get back to uh, touch touchstones and uh, let's talk about some music now. Uh, I know you're a big fan. Um, you did you actually play in a band uh, in Sydney? Oh, yeah, same question. Same question as did you play footy? <laughs> yes. Some do and some talk about it. Sadly, I talk about it. But uh, okay. uh, no, no, I, 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 I'm pretty good on the triangle, but that's about it. Because yeah. <laughs> I did see the, the picture of you, uh, you know, playing the guitar with a little, a little boy there. <laughs> Didn't eventuate. Ah, uh, yeah, a toy guitar. I never learned to play properly. Uh, toy if, guitar. If, if I could come back again, another life, I'd do that. Like there was a fork in the road somewhere there. I think it was like when I was starting it. 
I started out and I was writing a column. I was, I was writing a column in drum in, in on the street. I started to get a bit too hard nosed. So I was a bit too mainstream media talk for a music weekly, you know what I mean? And I had a choice to make there. I guess I kind of like and I had a full time job where I was writing was interviewing Lee Snyder and you know phone in the copy takers room at 10, 10 o'clock in the morning. I mean, I remember actually, I had to turn down an interview with Dee Snyder and I had to go to, I went to Jeff Selby's funeral. Um, and, uh, and, and, I had to, and I turned it down. Jeff Selby was a great St. George and player who died very young in a car crash. And I had to blow out the interview with Dee Snyder five minutes notice. I can't do it. Now, rock, star, now rock stars do that to, to journalists. Yes. A, a thousand times. Rock stars, you know. So, so with that, um, in, in your book, it, it mentions um, Axel Rose being with ACDC. Now, you know, ACDC is the you know biggest Australian band, one of my favourite bands for a long time. What, what's your, what was your opinion on on that with Axel Rose coming in into ACDC? Everybody has an opinion. I loved it when. when... No, I, I loved it, and I, just before we got married, I, we went to see uh, ACDC with Axel Rose at um, the Hadstead in Manchester. And oh, um, when you live here long enough, Craig, when you live here long enough, Craig, you learn not to go Manchester. Oh, <laughs> because right. it, it's like, it just, because, like, you know what I mean? It's the one thing, Andy, it's the one thing as an Aussie living in, um, in, in the UK, you kind of, you become conscious of. Uh, yes. So I'm very careful I go Manchester. But um, the, uh, yeah, and it was awesome. I, when, when they played, uh, when they played, I think, down payment blues, or maybe it was rock and roll damnation. I think it was. Uh, yeah. Now they so they, they played touch too much of Highway to Hell for the first mm. time ever with Axel. Bond yes. never performed it live, and and wow. Brian never performed it live. And so I actually I actually had tears in my eyes. I just <laughs> tears in my eyes when I heard those Bon Scott songs. It was amazing, and it was like it was like a um mid summer. So the sun the sun didn't go down at all during the show. I don't think. I maybe went down the last. Half hour of show. Somebody, um, it was funny. I got gets off um, Simon Moran, who was promoting the show. Simon Moran owns Warrington Wolves, and um, right. he sent tickets and they arrived here. And they arrived here, and I was like, and I, and my wife said, "Oh, it's cool, free tickets." Today. And I said, "Are you excited?" And I said, "Nah, they're they're in a corporate box. I don't want to sit in a corporate box." <laughs> so I bought another set of tickets, stand down on the stage, and I said, "No, he won't. No, he won't notice." And he goes, yeah, you might notice you're not there. You should go up there. You should go up there. So we walked out of the stadium and the steward said, you know you can't get back in. I said, I'm fine. I'm fine. Got another set of tickets, corporate box tickets. Walked back in again, halfway through the show. Walked up to the corporate box. And I'm, I'm saying, I say to Sarah, this is a waste of time. I want to be down on the, you know, we met some friends down there. And I want to be down there. I want to be up here. And, and she said, no, you'll, you'll be missed. And, and so I walked in and I, uh, and I showed my ticket to the steward. And our tickets were right. We were we would definitely be missed if we had brushed brushed going to the corporate box. So it was a good tip from my wife. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, what what an experience. But so, and from what I've heard, uh, Brian Johnson is back in the band. Is that true? As far as I'm aware, like he's he's going to record because the last time I seen Guns and Roses, uh, um, I think it's Angus Angus. Uh, sorry, Angus was uh, he'd come out and play two songs uh, with with Guns N' Roses. So there's a very sort of close yeah, yeah, relationship. I, I, I envy you enormously. When he says a close relationship, it's in full schoolboy uniform, 
and play with Guns N' Roses. To me, that was like a Marvel character walking into a DC comic. There was something wrong with it, you know what I mean? Like, yes. uh, like it was kind of like it wasn't – this is my main exercise book. Uh, uh, invading it's, it's just not right you know yeah it was uh where were we about that yeah um i thought it was great because axel still got the pipes yeah, he looks after his voice whatever you think of him um he can still hit really high notes he's an, he's an, he's an artist axel is an artist you know what i mean with all the eccentricity that involves uh, so i, I believe you know, the album can the photos taken uh somehow phil rudd got through customs despite Taking out a contract on someone's life in New Zealand. Yeah, and and it was it's recorded. It's recorded with a record company. Would it? Um, so the, the, so it's in the can. Uh, and and now I guess the record company hasn't put it out because they don't feel that they'll be able to maximise it uh, commercially. Yeah. So it's sitting in the can until the band can tour again. And if they do tour yeah. again, um, I, I believe, like I said, um, uh, Cliff's back, uh, Brian's back, and and Phil's back. So come on. Uh, yeah. So if they do tour again, uh, it'll be it'll go for three years. Uh, you'd imagine, yeah, right. and uh, and they go everywhere, and I'll definitely go to a few of them. I hope. And, and, you, and you know what? I, I've heard Angus in, in uh, you know interviews. It's just that if ACDC was to stop, what am I going to do? You know, yeah. <laughs> that's I've, that's the only thing that I've done all my life ever since I was a kid was play guitar. You know, so I'm going to keep playing until. And I remember when the first time I saw them play, like in probably 95 or 96 and that was saying that even then that you know, you know this is you got to go and see acdc this is the last time they're gonna you know perform so um it's just great to see them at this age still rocking out and you, you can't stop them they're still flawless you know even with the last last tour it was just absolutely flawless so I saw the first show on the Rock or Bus tour at Coachella, which was like a um, a hipster festival in the desert. You know what, Steve? I, I was actually in LA at the time, and I didn't even know it was on. I was kicking yeah, myself. Yeah, well, it was like my three favourite bands are Kiss, ACDC, and Van Halen. Uh, and yeah. I saw I saw Michael um, I saw uh, Michael Schenker, who's not in any of those bands. But I saw Michael Schenker um, play one night. And I drove out to the desert and saw ACDC play the next night. And then I saw Sammy Hagar in the circle back in Vegas the next night. That was three consecutive oh. nights. But, but um, it was funny because, like, the kids in the crowd are going, like, what does that, what does that name mean, ACDC, anyway? I mean, they've never seen it. <laughs> never seen a PowerPoint or, a, you know, like they've never seen the sign. And, and, um, and, and I was able to walk, like, right up to the front. Like, I lost my space at the front. Tame Impala were on the band on before, and they were horrible. They were yeah. Tame by name, tame by nature. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and it was, uh, and but what the point I was trying to make is that Angus it was his first. It was the first show in six years for ACDC, and Angus is like an athlete. Uh, he's like an athlete. The way he runs around. Oh yeah. And, and his knees were bleeding by about the eighth song. You know, like because <laughs> he gets down on his knees and plays yeah. and walks around his knees. So he was like a. It was like the first trial match or the first day back at training. He, he actually his, he had blood pouring out of his knees wow. during the show. Wow. I took photos. I've got a close-up photo of, of his knees. Yeah. Crazy. You're also seeing uh, Van Halen as well. So I'm a, I love my rock as well. I love my uh, – so, so Van Halen, are you a no, David was, Lee Rock? No, it was Sammy Hagar in the circle that night. It was Sammy Hagar in the circle. So it was, yeah, it was Michael, it was Michael Anthony, 
uh, yep. from Van Halen. Sammy Hagar from Van Halen. Uh, Jason Bonham, John Bonham's son on drums. Yeah, and right. Vic, Vic Johnson, who's been with Sammy for years on on um, on guitar. Uh, I, I love Van Halen. I love both eras. I even like okay. I even like Gary Sharon. I even like the Gary well, Sharon album. I like. I, like, I was about, I, I was about to say that because that was the first time that I saw them play. Ninety six. Ninety six. One day, in one day, I saw the Steelers uh, beat Canberra right next door. It was, must have been the Steelers last year. Ninety eight. Ninety eight. It was. Ninety eight. Yes. Yeah. 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 So Steelers won. Um, I got a free hotel room off someone, and I saw Van Halen for the first time, all in all in one day. That was pretty yeah, pretty cool. I, I just I just remember just that was a period there that was Pearl Jam, Metallica, Van Halen, and they were all in this in this period. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. And they even come to Newcastle as well. So yes, yes, um, I was at the Newcastle show when uh, when uh, Metallica were there. And I oh was really. The- was a load or the reload reload reload, reload. reload. the first yeah. I remember they come show. on with house lights still on yes so the, house, the house lights are still on and and everyone's just talking to each other and then bang they start playing so so yeah, yeah, yeah. so fucking what <laughs> and uh support was horsehead that night uh, yes. recently recalled and a horsehead one of my favorite yeah horsehead uh horsehead have got uh, a, bu- a bunch of reissues out on uh golden cool. robot records I love Horsehead so much, um, and yeah, right. and they reformed on February one uh, in uh, in Melbourne and uh, played one show, and and I was actually like I was going, can I can I hang on here for just another two weeks, you know? Can I <laughs> can I go back? Uh, but I ran out of money, and and we were getting these TV rights, and so I just was like I had to come back. But uh, I interviewed uh, Cameron uh, for, the, for the latest White Line Fever music, which is just White Line Fever as opposed to White Line Fever Kicks, is uh, has Cameron from Horsehead on. Um, yeah right that's great and, and the other the other band uh you know from that acdc from 95 uh, 96 uh was the poor yes Did you get into them as well because i saw them um, all when i was back i saw the poor twice when i was back in australia right I saw the poor. As, yeah they and, had uh, new guitarists actually quite well they had james young uh, one of the youngs on drums when they put the record out They've had a number of drummers since in true heavy metal fashion. I don't know if any of them spontaneously combusted, but they had a number of drummers. But <laughs> they have got a new young guitarist who's really good, uh, and they've still got um, Skeeny and Julian, uh, and uh, they're just fantastic. I saw them at um, Open for the Tats at uh, Paddington RSL. Uh, yeah. That was what a great night that was. Keith Cole was there, the former Steelers great. And then actually, I got in. I got in for free. I wasn't on the guest list. Keith Cole gave me a spare ticket that night. And then I saw them uh, headline Frankie's. Leon Harrison, who's the singer from uh, The Lazies, who are a great Central Coast band who now live in Toronto, he was there just with his Canadian girlfriend. Uh, you know, it was a fantastic night. It was just uh, um, amazing, amazing night. We got uh, the, the Lazies into the Toronto Wolfpack, actually. We gave them, gave them, all, gave them all a jumper, uh, put them in touch with. Uh, uh, the owner's sister, uh, and uh, and I, I I don't think the, I don't think the Wolfpack can afford them to have them play at a game, <laughs> but we're going to try to do some sort of contra deal so that maybe one one Wolfpack game in the beer garden, we'll get um, the uh, the Lazies to play. And um, interesting, Leon Leon uh, the singer, who's crazy if you follow him on social media, Leon Harrison, he's a North Sydney fan. Oh, right. he's, a, he's a Kiwi Central Coast North Sydney fan. Who yeah. who must have been when North Sydney ceased to exist? He must have been like ten, 
<laughs> and, and he lives he lives in he lives in Toronto. Um, so there you go. There's a there's an extended rugby league rock and roll connection. Right. That's great. I, I think we uh, we need I need to go to England and have a beer with you and talk music uh, a little bit more. I think we could talk for a long time. Um, and just finally, uh, your other favourite band, uh, Kiss, as well. Seen them quite a few times. My dad's got all their records, and uh, uh, so again, were you a fan of the the non taking off the uh, the makeup, or you know, you're just a fan in general? Yeah, um, I won't say I like every era. Um, mm-hmm. I thought. I think yeah, some Peter Chris's song on uh, Sonic, not on Sonic Boom. Peter Chris's song on I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That song, whatever, whichever one that was on, uh, Psycho Circus. It's a terrible song, and Peter Chris's. <laughs> but uh, I don't like everything Kiss does, and I think you know, you know, there's obviously they obviously get a lot of help, uh, electronic help with their shows now. Uh, yes. As far as backing tracks and stuff like that, but yeah. Um, but a good, but a good Kiss concert is like the best night of your if life. If you haven't seen, if you haven't seen them play before, you've you've just got to see them once. You know, it's just yeah. amazing visual. Yeah, I'm, dis- <laughs> I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed that the farewell tour hasn't featured any former members. Yeah. Um, even if, even if just Bruce Kulick, you know what I mean? Like I, yes. you know, I, I'm disappointed that um, that hasn't happened. But um, um, I didn't go when they came to town. But now the well, now canceled. the farewell tour. Yeah, when uh, they came, they did play a show here. I think they played a show here, and I didn't go. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it got cancelled here in London. I'm not sure. Right. Um, oh right. Did, yeah, they they come there. to us. They come to Australia and they played in Perth, and then he had something wrong with his vocals, and then they were supposed to play at the the V8s in Newcastle in the city yeah. after the V8s, and uh, yeah, he went back to the US. So great, yeah. Great band. If you haven't haven't sort of seen them, Kiss how many times? You know, I've probably seen Kiss maybe ten times, but maybe yeah. maybe Kiss fans are like fans of a, I don't know, like like maybe they're like NRL fans really. That they yeah. very they love they love the NRL, but they're the most critical. They're so critical. <laughs> That's true. You know what I mean, so Kiss fans are like Paul. Why did you? Why did you, you know, wear that outfit? Why, Paul, your voice is gone. Give it up. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? You're a fan of a band, but you want them to stop playing. But that's, <laughs> but that's, but that's true. Like, a lot of Kiss fans are like, I like that. They're like, I'm a, I'm a Kiss fan, but I wish they'd stop. You know what I mean? Like, and uh, so it, and they're very passionate. They're like, some people like the Elder album from 1981. Yes. A lot of people just hate it. You know what I mean? Yes. A lot of people just hate Monster and Sonic Boom. They just think they're just kind of like just come out the wrong orifice, you know. Um, so my first show, yeah. my first show with Kiss was uh, the Symphony at the down in Melbourne. I got Me too. I won I free. There. I won. Oh yeah, I won free tickets, and I was uh, down like uh, it was great. That was a great show, and I, I could see Molly Meldrum like in the row in front of me. And if if I could interview one person. <laughs> He, he he would be one of them. I think he would have so many good stories to tell um, with, with Countdown. I saw the um, rolling stones. I actually was down there for uh, uh, that. I went to that. Then I drove out to like Bildura or somewhere to see the Storm play trials. Oh, yes. And then I came back and saw the Rolling Stones. And the Rolling Stones had charged so wow. much for their tickets, right, that um, people were in the bleachers and they weren't on the floor. There were empty seats on the floor because it cost so much. So I spent, I guess... Across those two gigs, uh, I would have spent nine hundred dollars on the two nights 
Um, the yeah. kiss ticket, the kiss ticket would have cost me three hundred and ninety. I remember I bought it online when I was in um, in Boston, and and the stones, which I was able to buy quite late because it was so expensive, no one wanted to pay it. Stones cost <laughs> me stones cost me four twenty or something like that. You know what I mean? Like so, yeah. was, so two nights, two gigs, about nine hundred bucks worth of tickets. You know? Wow. All right, Steve. So uh, let's uh, let's wrap it up here. Like I said, well, I think we could talk for quite a long time. So tell me, I know it's a very vague uh, sort of uh, question, but what does the future hold for for Steve Mascot? I I hope the future involves getting things done that need doing. That's the way. That's the way I done sum it up. Getting things done that need doing. Whether it's bringing back hot metal <laughs> or uh, hot metal magazine. Or whether it's getting a nines wheel circuit up and running, or whether mm. it's getting every Super League game in Australia, including on TV here. Um, Love to see that. Uh, whether it's yeah, whether, uh, whether it's uh, um, having international uh, rugby league merchandise readily available around the world, and, and getting international rugby league to the forefront where it belongs. That that's kind of what I. That's when I had my first Monday here at the start of 2018. I just started working on projects, um, things that I thought needed doing. Before I was talking to you, we're talking budgets for nines. Um, so that is so uh, cool. So and and before uh, coronavirus happened, we show we showed games, um, Super League games that had never been shown to the public before live. Um, and so and Mascot Browns, you know, I went yesterday. I yesterday I had eight eight items to post out. The day before I had twenty. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of this leads to no income. <laughs> yes. So, like, well, very little income. You know, one day, hopefully, it will lead to, you know, if, you do, if you've got four or five projects that are serious businesses and, and you know, you, you earn money. But, at the, but I'm still two and a half years into it and, and, and you know, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm not earning a lot. Uh, but that's, that the future holds for me is getting things done that need doing. And, I, you know, I'm not particularly interested in getting credit for it. I know that sounds like I'm being... It sounds like false modesty, but I've already like got you know I haven't you know I've already got a career that was public facing behind me, yes. you know so I'm I'm satisfied with that. I'm not hungry for another public facing career, but I'm, I'm but that's what the future holds for me is, is getting things done that need doing. Yeah, yeah, right. Good answer. And uh, we, we were talking a little bit about it before, but um, what advice would you give to inspiring journalists that want to follow in your footsteps? <laughs> Dave, um, everyone says don't do it, don't they? That's that's standard. <laughs> don't do it. Um, Quit. My my memory. Well, I would say I would say that um, is that journalism is a public utility. It's it's like medicine. It, when you're a doctor, you're not there to make money for the hospital. Okay, it's a hospital's job to find a way to turn or the or the or whatever the government agency, whatever country you live in, however the health system works. But you know, it is it is your employer's job. To make the to balance the books, it's not your job. Your your job is to serve the community, and in journalism, you're keeping people honest, and you're you're ensuring transparency, and you're holding the powerful to account. And your bosses will come and go. Um, yes. And if you do what you're told without thinking every time, you'll go when they go. The most important thing to remember in journalism is that you're not going to get rich off it, and it isn't about you. And that it, it is a it's, it's a public utility that allows democracy to to operate. So the thing I've found is that if you are in the right, 
then the people who get angry with you during at the height of your career will be your friends afterwards, mostly. And I'm finding that yeah. right in a book. That yes. people, the people I get on best with are the people I had arguments with when I was a journalist. Right. Um, so, so don't be afraid to upset people if you know you're in the right. If they did it, if they said it, if it happened, then your job's to report it. And, but don't do something just for clicks or an audience or a raise or a commission or or because you were told to because journalism is one of those jobs that is governed by code of ethics. It's not just a matter of do what you're told and get pick up a paycheck at the end of it. And you won't last if you just do what you're told unquestioningly. Um, and that's it. That's what I would say. Okay. Great answer. All right. So let's um, – uh, I'd like to do some uh, quick – quick uh questions and answers um i'll go through a couple of questions here and um just give a you know a short short sort of response um are you ready to go yes okay okay all right so uh first one uh super coach are you a fan oh you or mean fan- the, oh, the fantasy fan- football? No, i'm not not interested okay should rep players uh play where they're born no okay why um, because ide- because identity is now far more complex than it was a hundred years ago. So oh, if, you, okay. if, rep, if rep players play where they're born, if, if I'm if I consider myself Tongan, and yes. and I happen to have been born in Auckland, I don't think I should be forced to play for for New Zealand. I mean, and um, we wouldn't have the Tongan team we have now. People's sense of identity is far more complex than it was a hun- hundred years ago. I mean. I will say, I would say to you, like I know there has to be rules. Um, yes. I can't, I can't tell, tell you. I consider myself Albanian, so let me play for Albania. I've got, <laughs> I've got, I've got no connection to Albania. I, un, I understand that, right? But, yes. if, if, but if I was brought up in an Albanian family and and it's part of my identity, and there is, a, and and I and I qualify through a set of rules that it applies in the Olympics, for instance, right? Then I should be allowed to play for for Albania. You know, yeah. and so yeah. um, people—it's not—it's not a white bread European Caucasian world anymore, where everyone's either English or Australian. That's not—that's not the world we live in anymore. People move around all the time, and, and their sense of identity is is different. So I, I, I don't—I don't think we can force people to play where they were born. I certainly wouldn't like to see. I like the origin rules at the moment where you must have lived in either state before you were 13. Otherwise, you can't play at all. I really yes. like that rule. And that's why yes. Semi, Semi Radradra could not play origin. He could only play for Australia. He couldn't right. play Mr. Wales because mm-hmm. he didn't live there before he was 13. Anyway. That's fair, fair enough. Who, who will take uh, Todd Greenberg's uh, position? Andrew Abdo. Has it already been taken? Sorry? Andrew Abdo. Andrew okay. Abdo. Has, has that, is that confirmed or is that still... Have they well, announced no, that? No, 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 I mean, okay. Uh, women's Rugby League. Awesome. The NRL Bunker. Necessary. <laughs> what uh, what players are, are coming back uh, to the NRL of 2020 that, that were not – are we getting new players? I know Rapana is coming back uh, to play uh, because he's coming back from Europe, is he? No, Japan. Uh, Rugby union in Japan. Oh, oh. Is there anybody else that you know that's no, coming back? That I don't know of anyone else, no. Okay. State of origin going internationally. 
Yeah, 100%. Huge property. Love to see it here. Uh, play, it, play it at Wembley Stadium at midday uh, with a doubleheader, England versus, um, England versus New Zealand, and, uh, and pack the joint out, make a lot of money, sell a lot of merch. <laughs> um, <laughs> Absolutely. 100% in, fa- in favour of it, yeah. And what's your um, – you also have like a, a, a merchandise startup uh, as well. So what's your most prized possession, uh, rugby league memorabilia? Uh, I don't anything I prize I'm not going to sell. Um, <laughs> so you know I've got I've got like both the all golds uh, and Australian jerseys from the centenary year 2007 autographed. I got a jersey that was worn by Chris Johns on the 1991 tour of PNG. I'm not going to sell them. I hope the moths. <laughs> I really I mean I was I checked on I checked on the moths when I went back and make sure the moths haven't got into them and they're still there. So. But I, I've, I've never gone around and get, get photos of people or get stuff autographed. I've only ever got one photo with a band and one thing autographed. I got a photo with Kiss in full makeup in, uh, at Budokan in Japan, um, and that was a few years ago, and I just I couldn't. It's funny, in the photo, actually, uh, my friend said Eric Singer could get you on the guest list, and when I got there, he was like, no, he can't. And in the photo, <laughs> so I found, my own, I found my own way in and to the, and to the, and to the meet and greet beforehand. Obviously, if I got my photo taken, I got, I got into the meet and greet just from my own resources, people I'd met on the ground before the show. And, uh, uh, and sure enough, in the photo, Eric Singer's, Eric Singer's hands on my shoulder. I'm like, get it off your bastard. You're no use. <laughs> um, uh, but, um, and uh, the only time I ever got an autograph um, uh, was uh, I got Mal at the end of the 1994 Kangaroo Tour. At when everyone was going home, at baggage claim in uh, at Charles de Gaulle, uh, when we come from the south of France, um, I got Mal to sign a Queensland jumper for my best friend Jim Savage, who was my pen pal out of Open Rugby when we were both twelve and lives in America. Wow! Um, and he's still my best friend. He's my best man. And that the only time, when as a journalist, I've ever gone up to someone and got something autographed was was that. So they're the only two times I've done that. Wow. Well, Steve, you've had a, an amazing career so far and uh, all the best for the future. Um, are there any sponsors or anything you want to promote uh, before we go? You really shouldn't have asked that. I guess I guess I should sort of start getting a, um, a registration of interest uh, for the book. Uh, what, I, what I was thinking of doing was maybe packaging it up with merch and stuff I've got, my personal collection of stuff. So I can't really enjoy my... Um, personal collection because it's in sydney and i'm in london um so so it's no it's not much use to me really a lot of the stuff i'm going to keep those three jumpers i mentioned don't ask for those disappointed. <laughs> but um so i've got stuff and i'm going to start amassing stuff from 1997 i'm maybe going to get an autographed ball of the australian team to it over here in 97 i'm going to package them up with both books and sell and sell them as kind of lots and they'd be pr- pretty good stuff um, so, so I, I guess I would say stay, keep an eye on stevemascord.com um, uh, com, and keep an eye on my um, uh, Facebook uh, page, which is I think it's forward slash Bondi Beat, but just just look for Steve Mascord on 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 Facebook, and I'm on the real Stevis, as in Beavis and Butthead, S T E A V I S, the real Stevis on Twitter, and I'll start. I, I like I said, I'll start. If you're interested in the book, I'll, I'll start collecting a bit of a mailing list. Um, that's a good idea. I only just had it now. Um, Mascord Browns is M-A-S-C-O-R-D-B-R-O-N-Z. So if we only sold trousers, we'd be Mascord Browns pants, which wouldn't be good. Mascordbrowns.com 
or mascordbrowns.com.au uh, for that. And it's International Rugby League merch, uh, heaps, heaps of stuff, great stuff. Uh, I've got a podcast, uh, White Line Fever. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, rugbyleaguehub.com is where you're going to be able to watch Super League, hopefully, eventually, uh, in Southeast Asia and Australia. Rugbyleaguehub.com, uh, that's easy to remember. And start paying attention to Rugby League Nines. Uh, because um, that's going to that's going to start to be very active in the coming uh, weeks and months. Wow! All right, Steve. I know you're a busy man, and I really, really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for coming on onto the show today. No, thanks, Craig. And I'll be using, if it's okay with you, I'll be using uh, this uh, myself to promote uh, some of the stuff I've just been talking about. So you've done me a huge favor and made me think of things that I'd forgotten. So thank not you. a worries, not a worries. And if I do come to England, um, I definitely uh, want to catch up and have a beer with you. Stay, oh, definitely. That's that's going to be easy, although we might have to like be standing two metres apart. Social distancing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, Steve. Thank you very much for your time. No worries, mate. Thank you very much, okay. Craig. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye.